you never know which idea, even if you have a child who has like a propensity for one thing that they're really excited about, you never know when an idea from another area will capture the, their mind. Welcome to Charlotte Mason Says. I'm John Schindel, here with my wife, Crystal. Join us as we read and discuss the home education series. Hey everyone, today we had the pleasure of having Dawn Garrett on the show with us. Dawn is a longtime homeschooler of three children who are around high school ages. She's the community manager for Pam Barnhill and was gracious enough to stay up late with us recording. We had a really good time talking through this chapter with her, and I hope you enjoyed listening to our conversation as much as I did being a part of it. So enjoy the show. All right. Well, sorry for the uh, the delay there. That's okay. <laughs> You'd think by now, uh, after doing this for, I don't know, over a year, we'd I'd, I'd be a bit better at this, but I keep finding out that I'm I'm uh, I'm not. Well, but you haven't been doing interviews for over a year. That's true. That's true. We're you we're, are number three. We are still new to interviews, <laughs> and I haven't I haven't caught up to that yet. Where I'm I'm still way back in volume one. So that's one of the fun things we've we've been noticing um, as as we've been getting further into this volume is that only about a third of the people that listen to us actually are up to date with us. <laughs> yeah. So you know, a, a third of our downloads in any given week or month are are the backlog of episodes. Yeah. Which is pretty cool. That means that people are they're listening to us regardless of of when we release the content, which is awesome. Yeah. I, uh, let's see here. I'm on, I'm ready for episode 40 is where I am. Cause I go okay. in fits and spurts with listening to <laughs> yes. podcasts and catching up and with working with Pam, I always have to keep up with her podcast. And, um, so all those different things, uh, I, Very I cool. just catch them when I can. Yep. Yeah, I, I know that feeling. That's that's kind of how I do things too. Really yeah. depends on how how work is going, how the commutes are, what craziness is happening at home, <laughs> all of those are, things. What other are audio books are listening to? Are there commutes these days? Are you? So I commute. Um, I work. Not, not these days, though. Oh, not I guess days. that's true. <laughs> yeah. No, the commute is in the our home office. Yeah. <laughs> Which works out for us. <laughs> I'm a fan. Yeah, it's it's nice to it's nice to be a part of that group that that has the ability to work at home yes. and still do my job and still get paid for doing those things. <laughs> so it's it's uh, I I'm we're blessed to have me working for a company that is as flexible as they are. Yep. Mm -hmm. So, Don, why don't you tell us first how you found Charlotte Mason? Oh, my. That's uh that's a bit of a story, actually. Um, this is honestly, it's been one of the fun things about having guests on is to ask that question and get a little bit of, of background on, on these things. So I knew I wanted homeschool. It was like a deal breaker when I was dating and my husband was, all, now husband was all for homes, for homeschooling. So he passed that test and, um, <laughs> and we fell in love anyway. And, uh, um, <laughs> got married and had kids several years later. And um, that's when I started to figure out, okay, I want to homeschool. How do you do that? 
and I read The Well-Trained Mind, um, like within the first two months of how I had a newborn. I read the whole book and went to a conference within six months and started reading the Well-Trained Mind forums, which 15 years ago were a hop in place. I, they may still be. I don't know. So that's part of my story. And I started hearing about different ideas of homeschooling and different philosophies kind of there to some extent. But also I had had a blog since 2001, right after my husband and I got married. We both had our own blogs for a while and I still have mine. He doesn't have his really anymore. But we, I, so I've always read a lot of blogs and I found blogs from the Alternative Mind Forum that I started following and I started following people like Brandy Vensel at Afterthoughts and Misty Winkler at um, mm -hmm. she had a different blog before Simply Convivial um, and Cindy Rollins and so my first three or four years I was pretty well-trained mind directed homeschooler but I kept pulling from these other people who were doing Charlotte Mason and learning from them and reading their blogs and and learning you know many different things from them and when my oldest was going into about fifth-ish grade we uh decided to jump ship entirely to Ambleside Online and doing Charlotte Mason exclusively and we started with year four with all my kids together and we're just a week from Friday we will finish year eight so okay wow Congratulations. Thanks. So because they're because they're so close, you're able to kind of put everyone together and do the same thing. Right. They're 32 months apart in age altogether, all three of them. So we aimed at the middle. Um, so mm -hmm. my my son would have been a fourth grader and we went in at year four and it diversified a little bit. I expected a little bit more from my oldest. Mm -hmm. I expected a little bit less from my younger and actually after we finish year eight, we are going to, for the first time, really separate them for content. My oldest is Margaret. She's 15. She's going to do years nine, 10, and 11 in two years. They have a schedule for that on okay. AO. And then my son will do year nine. He'll stay on his current trajectory. And then my youngest, I'm going to kind of create a second year eight for her, which is really actually the most stressful one, right? Because the advisory has done such an amazing job creating the years that trying to do something that's even remotely com comparable is hmm. stressful. Daunting. <laughs> Daunting. Yes. <laughs> so, um, so I found Charlotte Mason, but I, I more have learned Charlotte Mason through blogs and online and then later have kind of backfilled with the volumes and um, using some of Brandy's resources like Start Here. Um, and I have a mm -hmm. Charlotte Mason group. We did we did Start Here and then we did all of the Simply Charlotte Mason video series together, that kind of thing. So I've so I kind of started and backfilled. Mm -hmm. And I also learned a lot working with the Charlotte Mason IRL team on Instagram, which okay. has a lot of different moms and we became very good friends but we also like encouraged and talked to each other and and taught i think each other a lot about homeschooling and charlotte mason and the philosophy and practices and everything all together 
So. Well, and that kind of leads into my next question is, I know you're involved in many places online and in person with the Charlotte Mason world. Mm-hmm. Where are you involved in, and how, how is that working for you? Well, Charlotte Mason IRL is kind of in a quiet spot, so I'm not as involved there anymore. I do some things with School A Sisters, and they are my dear friends, um, so I talk with them most days. I work as the community manager for Pam Barnhill, who she's not really a Charlotte Mason homeschooler, but certainly favorable toward the things we do. I'm active on the AO forums a little bit and on the AO Facebook page. I try to answer questions when I can. I blog some. I, 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 don't, know, I don't know that I have like a real specific Charlotte Mason place that I'm active these days, but I try to take her wherever it is that I go, if that makes sense. It's a lifestyle. It is. It is. (laughs) I recently did an interview with Amy Sloan from Humility and Doxology, a video interview that she just posted to her blog this week. So, and I was talking all about Charlotte Mason and kind of that change that I was telling you a little bit about, about how I went from Mm -hmm. one philosophy to another and, and how that is okay. And maybe in, in this case, better. Mm-hmm. So, well, and that's something I realized at the beginning of this book. She says she's proposing a philosophy of education mm-hmm. based on natural law, and and that gave me comfort. It's just a philosophy, and when you find one that works for you, this might not be it, but this is one possible way that you could do it. Mm-hmm. So, part five. <laughs> Lessons as Instruments of Education. And I think I've mentioned this before, but Lessons as Instruments of Education pulls to me that, as she was saying, education is so much more than just academic. Mm-hmm. So these are ways of educating through lessons. Mm-hmm. And that that's, when that hit me, I was, it, was, it was like a light bulb. <laughs> she even says in here, what is it, Lessons... Lessons should go quickly so that there's plenty of time for play. Yes. She says she says that during this. So it, it is for play and for outdoor time that those are those are at least as, if not more important. Here it is on one seventy one. A sensible governess will secure a whole month's work for the children so well directed that much is done in little time and the widest possible margin secured for play and open air exercise. So this would be a little part of the whole of a life. <laughs> well, because she went on, she's gone on at length at times about how lessons can be a crutch and a hindrance mm-hmm. if if used as the sole method or sole structure for education and everything else is ignored. Sure. I do like to remember that this book is written aimed at young families, though. As, That's true. As children age, I mean... My kids have a lot of work to do. My, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, as, as we're getting into high school, they, they have more than a morning's worth of work to do. And it's not easy work, but it's not bad work. How, how, long, mm. how long do you see your children doing their schoolwork on a daily basis? 
Oh, it depends on the day and it depends on the <laughs> the dawdling and the well, we, yeah. we have about an hour and a half in the morning when we do a morning time together and we're able to do a number of things together, which is very nice. Plutarch and Shakespeare and so things that are part of our curriculum that I can put in that part of our day. And then they have independent work and they have math and Latin and penmanship and they need to do some keeping and they have between four to six readings and some of the readings are 35 pages long that they have to read and then narrate so i mean it can it can take a a long part of their day i think everybody was done before three today which is wonderful and unusual Mm -hmm. usually four or five sometimes even but we're trying to Again, with Daddy home, we're trying to like be more focused and have those lessons a little bit more directed and a little less uh, lackadaisical, maybe. Mm -hmm. Trying to work on those habits of uh, attentiveness. (laughs) Habits of attention, (laughs) habits of, yeah, consistent work. (laughs) There are a lot of those of not fighting with your brother over the book. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That that is something we we did just get through the last the last part of this book was was uh the habits mm. and and working through all of those and so i can see that from personal experience and crystal and i talked about this a couple couple episodes ago but from personal experience i i know uh, i was so i was homeschooled for most of my life mm. and as a homeschooled child i can remember when i was dialed in and doing my work i could be done in a couple hours mm-hmm. but normally it took me most of the day mm-hmm. It all depend on on what event I got to go to if I finished school early as to how long it would take me. Sure. To some extent, I think that our bad habits are a function, a, a large extent, are a function of myself. I am not a very strong habitual person. That's not something that has mm. come easily to me. But it's also partially coming later, I think, to Charlotte Mason specifically, is that we mm. didn't establish those habits when the children were very young. We established different kinds of habits mm-hmm. and so they are not playing out as well now as they might have if we had been more insistent when they were younger, if I had been able to, if I had focused on those at the, that time. So hmm. I so I don't necessarily think that all, you know, your eight Ambleside Online users would have days as long as our days are. Mm-hmm. And I probably could even pair them back more. That that is our reality at the moment. Sure, mm-hmm. sure. Well, well, and and it's good hard work for high schoolers. It is. So it is, and that's... we we also have you know two online classes for my daughter and an online math class for my son, and so some things are not necessarily directed by me either, which adds to the amount of time and the amount of work that's expected. That kind of thing. So, okay, that's very cool. Well, thank you. Yeah. That that's always that's always something that's been that's that's been uh, curious to me is is length of time. You're welcome. Okay, parents yield the responsibility of direction as well as instruction more than is wholesome for the children to the teaching profession. And she goes on to talk about yes, the teachers are the ones who consider a lot about what to learn. But the parent also needs to think about this. Mm. And both for the sake of the teacher as well as the children. 
so that the teacher knows that the parents behind him and the parents know what the teacher's doing. Mm. And so it kind of goes back and forth with a, a, a mutually beneficial back and forth. Yeah. Well, and the quote that I that I thought was interesting, she says here at the end of the, uh, I guess, top of page 170, she says, nothing does more to give vitality and purpose mm-hmm. to the work of the teacher than the certainty that the parents of his pupils go with him. Mm-hmm. And I know that was something with me as a kid and my friends is if we had if we had friends whose parents were on board with the teachers, the kids would be they would be paying attention and on board. If the parents weren't on board and didn't really care, then the kids could care less too. Mm-hmm. And it was it was it was true in public schools and private schools and home schools and <laughs> and everywhere. So it's in in my opinion, and it seems like Charlotte Mason's too. It's hugely important for the parents to be on board with the education that's happening and and the 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 formal side of education. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm which is easy in a homeschool situation. Sure. But I think this idea is still good in a homeschool situation where the parent is the teacher, because having thought about it, it gives us this, the strength, the endurance, the perseverance to continue on. You know what, you, you know what the purposes are, you know what the goals are, you know where you are going and why you are going that way. And you aren't just constrained by some curriculum provider's textbook. The, That's you true. have made a specific decision to do it this way. And so, so it gives you the ability to persevere and say, this is, we are doing this because I have decided that this is what we need to do. And mm-hmm. so it helps. That makes sense. So the parent-teacher conference in your head <laughs> or out loud you know <laughs> or, uh, <yeah. laughs> or out loud oh yes she starts talking about if you just leave the children with a governess who has very little qualifications that the children waste their time is the least of the evils that will accrue they are forming habits dead against intellectual effort and by and by when they do go to school The lessons go over their heads, the work slips through their fingers, and their power of passive resistance baffle the most strenuous teachers. Mm. So you got to be careful with who you choose. And she talked a lot about that at the beginning of Parents and Children, how it is an authority that you can depute to other people. Mm -hmm. And you have to be careful with who you give that to. Mm -hmm. Because ultimately, it does always come back to you as the parent, because that is your God-given station to your children Mm -hmm. and so how you how you depute that changes doesn't change your responsibility no but with say the latin class that my daughter takes i have deputed the online service to be in charge and one of the things that they require is that it's between the student and the teacher and that parents you can't helicopter you can't say oh but they did this they did this you can't like save your child (laughs) in this way and I chose this particular organization specifically because they want that responsibility on my child Mm -hmm. and because Mm -hmm. you know they require that my child be the one that's engaged in making sure that they're learning the material that it's not me being the director and being the intermediary so Again, that's a maturity, and as they age, you might come to to find that. 
but I think, yes, especially with younger children, making sure that you can are a part of that deputization and and the and the interactions, but it's something that you kind of can let go as you get older. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. <laughs> well, because because it goes back to the parents' primary goal is to have the child grow up and then leave home. Yeah. Yes. And so, any as as the child gets of age, whatever whatever of age means in the specific circumstance, being able to let go and pull back and and let the child experience those things on their own, that that is a good thing. Yes, and even let them fail, yeah. which is a terrifying thing. It's hard. <laughs> <laughs> it is, but um, it is it, it is also part of parenting is learning yeah. to. Yes, let go at the right time, at the right, give, give the responsibilities at the right time. I mean, even even with young children with chores, they have certain chores, you teach them how to do it, and then you expect them to do it without nagging, you know, and, and, and yeah. you've let go of that responsibility and it becomes their duty. It, it, it's the same thing. It's just at an older age. Mm-hmm. Yep. It's at an older age, and there's there's more at stake. Mm. <laughs> so let's see. Three questions for the mother. Mm-hmm. I think this goes back to knowing why you're doing this. Mm-hmm. Why must the children learn? What should they learn? And how should they learn it? Mm-hmm. And once you've thought through all of that, then you can either direct your governess or talk to your school or, in, I mean, even figure out which latin program to use right and 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 just go forward with that Mm -hmm. so why must they learn she gives a couple of answers she says uh she says doesn't the body was is it why do we eat is it not in order that the body may live and grow and be able to fulfill its functions precisely so must the mind be sustained and developed by means of the food convenient for it so the, the, the mind must have its ailment, its food, mm-hmm. and we learn that we may know. And I'm going to skip, skip ahead just a little bit. And then we learn, the child must learn in order that ideas be freely sowed in the fruitful soil of his mind. Mm-hmm. And, and we learn for the sake of getting knowledge. Mm-hmm. So we have those three things kind of overarching where she's going. Mm-hmm. And coming back to the food, she's, she says, first off, the the material doesn't have to be split up artificially into the different senses. Like, this work is done to mm-hmm. for the perceptive faculties. This is done for the imagination. And I've, I've seen, I don't remember if it was because my mom was a teacher or some friends in college when they were going through their educational classes... You know, you had to write up specifically mm-hmm. what areas the child was learning for what activity. Mm-hmm. And she says, so that's that's not necessary. <laughs> <laughs> Thank goodness. <laughs> yes. It, 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 and it's not. She, she talks about, in that section, the mind would appear to be one and indivisible and endowed with manifold powers. And this sort of doctoring of material is unnecessary. 
But then she goes on, almost any subject which common sense points out as suitable for the instruction of children will afford exercise for all their powers if properly presented. So there is a proper way to present, but it's not necessarily dividing it up so that you hit this, these certain faculties. Right, because all the faculties need to be hit, but if you're teaching things right, they will be. Yes, but I think what she's saying is that if properly presented, teaching things right, the faculties are more whole than what we think of them. We can name them and divide them, but they are a whole indivisible thing at the same time. Right. Again, a food analogy, just eating, somebody talked about this, you know, you're eating an apple. Mm Mm-hmm. So you have your vitamin A, your vitamin C, your vitamin, your fiber, your your sugars, and you have all of those different elements. And you can eat all of those elements separately, but that doesn't make a whole apple necessarily. Right. An apple is but not a bunch of different vitamins. But when you eat the vitamins. apple, you get all of that yeah. at the same time. Mm-hmm. So That makes sense. Mm-hmm. You learn to get ideas. Yes. And you read this earlier. Children must learn in the second place to get in order that ideas may be freely sown in the fruitful soil of their mind. An idea, and here's another definition, the image or picture formed by the mind of anything external, whether sensible or spiritual. And that was her dictionary definition. That was her, yeah. Mm-hmm. Not her definition. Oh, I guess that's true. Because she goes on to say, the dictionaries fall short. <laughs> I I actually looked it up in the Webster's 8228 dictionary. Okay. Looked up idea because that's going to be an older definition. And I think it was a little bit more complete, although I think what Mason says is complete. Uh, she's going to go on and talk about it in, in more of an idea sort of way than in a d- definition. What is that which is seen form image model anything of anything in the mind that which is held or comprehended by the understanding or intellectual faculties and it includes things like opinions and propositions these decisions are incompatible with the idea that the principles are derived from the civil law so that it gives an example it's not always a picture of a specific thing you were talking about the apple and the 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 different parts of the apple Mm -hmm. it's not that you have just an idea isn't just that you have a picture of an apple in your mind but it's also ideas are bigger can be bigger than that They, they can be an apple but they can also be you know loyalty or um justice or jurisprudence or different propositions so they're they're very hard to define the idea of an idea. <laughs> it is. Well, in, in parents and children, I know, I know she talked about that at length and all, any number of times is what is an idea and how do you impart an idea and what does that idea do? And all of those, all of those things is she spent a long time talking about ideas specifically. So it's, it's hard to get all of that into a, one sentence definition it absolutely is yes even (laughs) even a definition as long as the the was it the 18 1828 and i didn't read most of it it fills a whole page (laughs) (laughs) Jeez. which i i mean even just the fact that it takes that much to define it 
means it's that big of a an idea, mm-hmm. that big of a concept and that important of a concept to our lives. Mm-hmm. But I like her picture, the spiritual germ endowed with vital force. Because mm. the germ is the part of the seed that's the part that's going to grow, right? So if you think about, it's just a little teeny tiny part inside the seed. It also The seed also has the endosperm, which is what's going to feed the the growth part. And it's got the bran that covers the outside of the seed. But the it's it's just the little tiny part that's gonna shoot up out of the seed and out of the out into the sun and and to grow and you know if we think about what jesus said the mustard seed is small and it grows so big that the tree the birds can can nest in it and so ideas are like that they they're this little tiny bit and yet they can grow and expand and branch out and grab hold of yeah. ideas, other ideas, and become this great big beyond thing. So I really like her word picture of the spiritual germ endowed with a vital force. That's a good one. There was a picture book that I found at the library about a little boy who had an idea. And it was uh, displayed as an egg. And so this little egg followed him around and he like tried to hide it because he didn't thought it was kind of weird and other people thought it was weird and, but it, it wouldn't leave him. And so he started feeding it and it grew and eventually blossomed and hatched into this beautiful bird. And that, that reminded me of that where it's just, it's tiny and it grows and you feed it and huh. and it explodes mm-hmm. and can change the world. And she'll go on to talk a little bit more about this guy who had an idea about an engine and it created a locomotive. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. interesting. That's, that's, that's an interesting right here, right next. Yeah. That's the next but, one. But, Scott wrote Waverly and George mm-hmm. Stevenson. Mm-hmm. Before we and, get there. Oh, sorry. Don, you had something? I did. Um, before we get there, you've had this happen to you. You hear some word or some idea that you've never heard before. And then suddenly it's everywhere. And she talks about that at the bottom of 173. (laughs) We know from our own experience that let our attention be forcibly drawn to some public character, some startling theory. And for days after, we are continually hearing or reading matter which bears on this one subject, just as if all the world were thinking about what occupies our thoughts. The fact being that the new idea we have received is in the act of growth. And it... That idea is reaching out after its appropriate food. It's that, you know, that branching that the mustard seed is is doing. It's 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 reaching out to find its completion after its appropriate food. This process of feeding goes on with a with peculiar avidity in childhood, and the growth of an idea in the child is proportionally rapid. So it's it, it's mm. it's naturally an idea when you get an idea and all of a sudden you start seeing it everywhere this is happening all the time and it's it's just reaching out and growing and 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 becoming more it's It's so it's so exciting tendrils are touching isn't it exciting it is well it's interesting to me that she she talks about it's the idea itself that's reaching out and you Mm -hmm. you brought that out too but it's not that it's not that you're actively looking Mm -hmm. for it it's that the idea is growing inside of you. And so it's looking for those things 
and then you see them all. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. a fascinating switch. Mm-hmm. It's it's an interesting way to look at it. Well, when I read this, I thought about you know when you go car shopping and you're suddenly looking at this one car, you start seeing them. That everywhere. one car. That's true. Mm-hmm. Yes, so. and th- and that's the science of relations. You've made a relationship with an idea, and then yeah. you are relating it to other ideas, and you are you were relating it to the the original teller of the idea to you that that science of relations is just a big web of intricacy that connects everything and when things are connected it's exciting and and you can love it and enjoy it and mm-hmm. and what does charlotte mason tell us she says that we want to care we want to see our children care and so when we give them ideas yeah. and they make ideas and they make these connections and they get excited about it they start to care about it and they build a locomotive out of their enjoyment of engines or uh what was the other mm-hmm. one scott wrote these amazing stories the based Waverly on novels based it based on the tales and ballads and folk songs and folklore of his childhood one well, a little bit further on give your child a single valuable idea and you have done more for his education than if you had laid upon his mind the bushels the burden of bushels of information mm-hmm. for the child who grows up with a few dominant ideas has his self-education provided for his career marked out because those ideas so. grow and they want to know yeah. more. Yeah. Which is one of the reasons that school can be so much fun. And then that's why we have lessons, because lessons furnish ideas. Yeah. It's like she wrote this. It's almost <laughs> like she knew where she was going with her thoughts. <laughs> like she had ordered her ideas. <laughs> and she, she was directing them, like we talked about earlier, a couple weeks ago. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> The, the parent cannot fitfully allow, fitly allow the child's selection of ideas to be a matter of, cho- of chance. His lesson should furnish him with ideas as shall make for his further education. Because you never know which idea, even if you have a child who has like a propensity for one thing that they're really excited about, you never know when an idea from another area will capture the, their mind. Two of my mm-hmm. kids are particularly musical and one of them poetry has caught her mind and the other one the idea of composition has caught his mind they they both have musical gifts but they go in different directions and so making sure that i've offered poetry to all of them means that one of them has captured it and that we've done art study with all of them means that the idea mm-hmm. of composition and putting things in their certain places has caught with my other you know it just mm-hmm. interesting uh, wide that wide and varied feast feeds in many yeah. different ways and you never know quite which ones will be picked up by which child yeah nice that's pre- that's really cool so not only to secure Uh, intellectual growth and the furnishing of ideas that the child must also learn for the sake of getting knowledge right so this is the this is the third third one and so he's talking about no knowledge should be so precious as that gained in childhood Mm -hmm. because you know with the the child the person grows so much from that original starting point at the same time, the capacity for knowledge is very limited, and his mind is, in this respect at least, but a little file with a narrow neck. 
and therefore it behooves the parent or teacher to pour in only of the best. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking, you know, only a little bit at a time. Again, leading into those short lessons where you mm-hmm. only get just that, that little bit and then you soak in it and then a little bit mm-hmm. and you soak in it. I was thinking about how, you know, when we have newborns, we're told that their their stomach is the size of their fist mm-hmm. and you can only feed them so <laughs> much to before they're going to be yep. full. That That was the kind of rather than the file with a a narrow neck that was kind of the image that Mm. a little goes a long way and the capacity grows it's not that they're incapable of accepting the ideas but their capacity grows as they mature and age Mm -hmm. i like that i like that analogy that's a good one and then you only give them the best foods too then the the ones Mm -hmm. that are right for that for that age and so you give them and like Paul says, you know, milk when you're young mm-hmm. and then you move on to meat mm-hmm. when you are more mature and ready for it. Mm-hmm. But <laughs> it's not that we're, <laughs> it's not that we're, we're diluting it. it. It's still exactly complete, full ideas and it's still, still worth their time and worth the, the eating because yeah. the, 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 her very next thing is don't talk down to your kids. Don't give a little nugget fill the, in the midst of a big cup of milk, right? Yeah, here mm-hmm. it is at the end. Apt to present a single grain of pure knowledge in a whole gallon of talk imposing upon the child the labor of discerning the grain and of extracting it from what is worthless. Yeah. And that can be tough. Mm-hmm. It it can be tough to to dilute all of the words that we say down into the single nugget of what we want the child to get. Mm-hmm. It definitely requires forethought. Mm-hmm. Well, and this is this is also something I learned when I had my first kid was they are ridiculously smart, and as adults we tend to, by nature, talk down to children and talk. And she says, talk twaddle to them. Mm-hmm. She said, mothers seldom do it because they are very intimate with the children. But I, I've, I've said, I, I find that I still do that with other children because I don't know them. And when you're with children who aren't your own, they tend to be more quiet around you. So that's something I, I have to intentionally say, no, I'm going to talk to you like you're a person. Because mm-hmm. you are smart enough to understand this. Mm-hmm. It, and I've long thought if we want to see adults using a wide vocabulary and intricate syntax, we have to talk to children with a wide vocabulary and intricate syntax so that the speech patterns are not so small and simple, but they they can grow and be interesting and they can be very specific, you know, using the proper word for the proper sentiment or idea that they're trying to convey is important. So that goes hand in hand. Mothers don't talk down to their children. They don't talk twaddle to them. They talk to them with real ideas, real words, real complexity, and it's important. Well, and then it also goes to talk about feeding children the best in terms of written word. I mean, you were talking earlier about reading mm-hmm. Plutarch and, and Shakespeare. Mm-hmm. Uh, even even at a very young age, it's good to do those things and find the best books to read, not just 
not just kids books or any right. kids book, but but the best kids book that use those complex sentences and thoughts and convey ideas well. And that's yeah, and that's kind of what she talks about next, sharing about Doctor Arnold's experience and his in his life that he had these big grown up books given to him as a child and that he was so familiar with them that he could quote them what some two score years after reading them um, he could <laughs> quote them appropriately because those were the books of his childhood yeah and it it's interesting when you think of the 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 main stories of people who are self-educated you know the Abraham Lincolns mm -hmm. the the Teddy Roosevelt's, they have access to their parents' library mm -hmm. or a small selection of adult good books. Mm -hmm. And that's what they learn from. And it's not watered down and it's not delivered. And as she's talking here, there's two two ways that it falls. You know, either they can fall towards just kids understand facts, dates, numbers, rules, catechisms. Mm -hmm. Or the other side of the pendulum is the little pills of knowledge that are almost like storybooks and easy talk and pretty pictures. Mm -hmm. Where instead of those two extremes, they get the good quality literature. Mm -hmm. And that's where they grow from. Mm -hmm. so, so four tests to apply to the children's lessons. We need them to provide material for their mental growth. Mm -hmm. They should exercise the several powers of their minds, mm -hmm. furnish them with fruitful ideas, and should afford them knowledge, really valuable for its own sake, accurate and interesting, of the kind that the child may recall as a man with profit and pleasure. So she's got those four tests, and then before you apply those tests, then she says, okay, remember, here's here's the things that I want you to know beforehand. Mm -hmm. And she goes through and summarizes what we have talked about for the last, how many pages is this? 170. <laughs> <laughs> the knowledge is most valuable to the child is that which he can get with his own eyes and ears and fingers. Under direction. Um, under direction in the open air. <laughs> which again, that's not academic book knowledge. That's that's the tangible, physical feeling mm -hmm. and doing and like you were mentioned earlier this is for the younger children mm -hmm. written specifically for the younger children growing yes mm -hmm. up into academia it, it, and at least partially because real things are what books are written about right yeah. it, being out in the open air and observing the buds that are coming on the trees and hey look I saw peony buds today. Finally, they're sh mm -hmm. they're starting to come up in my yard, and 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 seeing and knowing kind of the seasons and the when the robins come back and when this happens and when that happens and how it happens and what it looks like when the leaves fall down. Those things are what are written about in the Odyssey. The Cindy Rollins talks mm -hmm. about the sp observing a swallow and what it's doing and then reading the Odyssey talking about Athena turning into a swallow at the same time, you know, at the exact same time. We're 
that um, my daughter found a poem today about the fall and and how it about autumn that was just it was really beautiful and I don't remember it but (laughs) she has the experience of seeing what autumn is and knowing how kind of the outside works and so she could have that extra depth of understanding in the poem we talk about books and things and we have to have the things in order to understand the books and we have to have the books to understand the things they go hand in hand. <laughs> yeah. It makes me think, I, I know I brought this up in, in a previous episode, but I, I read, I read a book series by uh, Brandon Sanderson called Mistborn. Mm-hmm. And in this book series, it's set in kind of a, a sci-fi futuristic world where there's, there's basically a cloud of ash that is over the world and everything on the surface of the world is brown and kind of looks like winter with no snow, but but there's ash. And so there's legends of things like flowers and green trees. And the people are just kind of like, well, that's weird. That's a crazy thing that someone <laughs> thought of. And then at the end of the book, the you know magic happens and all of a sudden the mist is gone and everything's the way it should be. And there's flowers and stuff. And the people are looking at these things going – what on earth is this? Mm-hmm. You know, they'd been reading about it for so long, but they had no clue what it was. Mm-hmm. And then they saw it, and it and it all made sense. So having you know, it's it's a fantastical thing, but but I think the idea is there that without knowledge of the thing itself, without knowledge of the the actual object, the words about the object are they're just words put together, mm. and they don't they don't they're not always. They don't. They don't always describe it well enough so that you actually know what the thing is. Mm-hmm. You you need the object. Mm-hmm. That reminds mm-hmm. me of the miracle where Jesus, the blind man, he fixes his eyes and he says, "There, I see people, but they're like trees walking around." And he fixes his yeah. eyes again so that he sees properly. He doesn't know that trees don't walk around. He, you know, he's mm. never seen that. He's never seen to know that yeah. that's not quite right. So, yeah, I like your. Now I want to read that series, even though I. <laughs> <laughs> it's, a, it's a really good book series by a really good author. I highly, <laughs> I highly, uh, highly endorse it. For thirty years, my brothers have tried to get me to read Jordan, and Sanderson's the one who finished it, right? That's correct. And, and I have avoided <laughs> it, so I, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> well, well, here's here's the good thing. The Wheel of Time is now finished. <laughs> However, John did not tell me that the series that Sanderson wrote that he started introducing me to was not finished. No, the uh, the was it the Way of Kings? Yes, not finished. So I, I very not finished. I, I told my brothers for years that I was not going to read it until Jordan finished it, and since he didn't finish it, I don't have to read it. Oh, you stinker! <laughs> oh, the loophole that is a loophole. Oh, that's funny. That's funny. Oh. Okay, so let's move on to uh, to number B here. <laughs> number B. <laughs> so she says, uh, let's see, this is the resume of six points. Uh, B, that claims of the schoolroom should not be allowed to encroach on the child's right to long hours daily for exercise and investigation. Yep. Short lessons. Yeah, short, short lessons and a lot of time for other things as well. Mm-hmm. And I would say... And and correct me if I'm wrong, but I would I would think that's true even as the children are getting older. Is that there there does still need to be hours for exercise and investigation? Absolutely, it's not one of my strong suits when it comes to 
Charlotte Mason education is nature study. It's not one of my better <laughs> abilities um, or I don't really like outside very much. Um, <laughs> so we're, we're trying to get better about it. We've been, my husband is home because of COVID. And so we are taking two walks every day, which is actually a huge improvement. Take one at lunchtime nice. and one at, when he's done with work. And my husband loves to hike. And so I've been trying to go out with him on Saturdays and hike with him and drag a kid or two along with us. So we're, <laughs> we're always trying to get better, but it is absolutely, I mean, especially for sciences, it is so important that those skills of observation, I mean, philosophically, I can completely assent to this, even though in practice, I'm really bad at it. <laughs> There's a lot of things like that. Yeah. Right. It's those baby steps, right? Yep, yep. exactly. You are exactly, that's, that's where those baby steps come in. <laughs> and again, this goes right into C. The child should be taken daily to scenes so they can add to their store of real knowledge where their observation is directed to the flower, the boulder, the bird, the tree, and he gains those common information which is the basis of scientific knowledge. And we went into that with the whole loop of things and books and books and yeah. things. And... Well, and she's talked about it earlier, too. She's talked about how you, you study the object when you're a kid, and and then you read the books to to clarify and identify what things you saw. Mm -hmm. You don't read the book to tell you what the thing is. Mm-hmm. You have to study the thing first. Yeah, the, the thing as a whole so that you can love the thing. Karen Glass talks about it as synthesis and analysis. You start with the synthesis of, of knowing and loving the whole thing. And then later mm -hmm. you do the analysis and the, the you know, breaking apart the seed to find the, to find the germ and to find, the, you know, going back to our yeah. earlier thing. So, or the breaking apart the I think it was at the flower. Yep, that, yeah. that one. She talked about that at the beginning of the book, where she's like, don't don't make them pull apart the flowers. <laughs> right. <laughs> pull apart the flowers or dissect the frog. Yet. Yet. <laughs> Yet. Right. And yeah. then you mentioned this one, play. Vigorous, mm. healthful play is in turn fully as important as lessons. Mm -hmm. And re as regards both bodily health and brain power. Mm-hmm. Do you want me to read the next one? That the child, sure. go for it. though under supervision, should be left much to himself, both that he may go to work in his own way on the ideas he receives, and also that he may be more the more open to natural influences. So that masterly inactivity of the parent-teacher is vitally important. You're making sure that they don't hurt themselves, injure themselves, but giving them freedom at the same time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. One of the, one of the questions I've fielded with a couple friends, both now as an adult looking to teach my children, but also as a kid from friends of mine and other adults was who was teaching me when I was in high school and who, who is your child's teacher when you're in high school? And when I was a kid, it was real easy. Well, I mean, yeah, my mom teaches me some things, but I mostly learn from the books I have. You know, mm -hmm. I learned math from the Saxon math books, and I learned history from the various history books I read. My mom didn't sit there and lecture at me. Mm -mm. I read the books. And and this reminds me of of growing up doing that is that 
I was given the syllabus and I was given the books to read. And, and there were things that I did with my mom. But man, by the time I got to junior and senior year in high school, it was all me. Mm-hmm. And that's what this was, was was I was left to myself to to get those ideas and to to gain that knowledge. Mm-hmm. I'm hoping that to a, <laughs> a large part we'll be doing a lot of that. Here's here's what to do when, you know, but I want to still be involved in those conversations and in the discussions and in the I want to hear the narrations. I want to read the narrations. The, those don't those things don't end in high school. Um, and no. and in many ways, they're they're better. Uh, and <laughs> I, and, yeah. and I will tell you, I have a secondary ed degree, um, so I love high schoolers and having discussions <laughs> with them. So you know, I people are like, "What are you going to do when they're older?" I'm like, "I survived through phonics so that I could get to this point." <laughs> I, that is my thought too. I'm like. You know, this this little young years teaching to we'll get I through want it. to get to where they can <laughs> talk to me and read and big ideas and And to some yeah, extent I'm, to some funny. extent they do that at younger ages and they play games with their stories that they're doing. I'm sure you're seeing some of those things now. But it's it's really fun now to have those conversations at the dinner table with it, with daddy and everybody at the table and talking about you never know what will come up at the Garrett dinner table. So, <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm excited for that. I'm, yeah. I'm excited for those conversations. <laughs> so yep. still under supervision left to yes. himself, still under supervision, under supervision. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So then their last her last point here that the happiness of the child is the condition of his progress, that his lessons should be joyous and that occasions of friction in the schoolroom are greatly to be depreciated. Awesome. Are greatly to be deprecated. I'm real good at this still. (laughs) I I feel like this is more of a barometer for how you're doing in presenting your ideas and living life with your children. Are are they happy? Are the lessons joyous? Is there friction in the schoolroom? You know, kind of seeing where you're at and how things are going and if you need to change something yes that makes sense yes i mean we have our tools atmosphere discipline life so atmosphere and living ideas are two of those and so you know occasions of friction are looked down on which is why jason being my husband being home is so good because he (laughs) stomps on those faster than i do but a lot of homeschoolers will tell you, don't look at the individual days to determine if your lessons are joyous, mm-hmm. if you're, you know, if your child is happy, because on any given day, it could not be. Look at the kind of the the overarching, the overall, I think, is is probably a healthier way to consider that than the mm-hmm. individual day, because any individual day could go entirely off the rails. Well, that's true. Well, and and I 100% agree with that because I have bad days. Mm. My kids have bad days. And especially when those coincide, (laughs) life is rough. (laughs) But 
But overall, are we either moving towards something good? Is this book working for our us as a whole? Mm-hmm. And and that taking that that step back and looking at okay, overall, how is this doing for our family? Right. Yeah. And so. you know, some of the things that we look at there, uh, if, on an individual book, is are the narrations good? You know, it's not so much are they enjoying that book, but are the narrations solid? Mm-hmm. And are they are? Um, we're reading Desiring God by John Piper this year, and none of my kids really love that book, but I <laughs> but I hear the ideas coming out from them, and they can see the value in the book. So that so they're narrating it well. They see the value. They don't necessarily like it. I can deal with that. That's okay with me. <laughs> and so <laughs> there, there are several different, you know, kind of levels of lessons being joyous and the happiness of the child. Hmm. So, that makes sense. Well, that's the end of the chapter. Yay. Because then she moves on to, you know, now that we know all of this, let <laughs> yeah. us now consider what they learn and how they should be taught. But that is not for today. No. no. We'll get there. Yeah. Don, is there anything else you'd you like to add? I can't think of anything else. I I've kind of followed our no- my notes as we went and just keep persevering. You know you know why and what you want to do, persevere. That's good advice to to everyone who's <laughs> parenting. Yes. And and home educating. Awesome. Well, Dawn, thank you so much for for joining us. Thanks for having me. If you would, can you tell our listeners where they can where they can either get a hold of you or where they can follow you and find your stuff? Sure. The best place to find me, the place I'm most often is on Instagram and I'm Lady Dusk there. It's all one word. Dusk because it's the opposite of dawn and I don't really like mornings. And um, Lady because <laughs> when totally I first started using Dusk, people were like, "Are you a boy or a girl?" And I mean, this was 28 years ago so i've been lady dusk for a very long time online and there are a couple other people who use it but if you search for lady dusk you most likely will find me on instagram Mm -hmm. i'm definitely lady dusk my blog is ladydusk.blogspot.com those are the two main places and goodreads also lady dusk okay (laughs) thank you very cool and thank you for staying up late with us oh (laughs) it was fun i'm gonna sleep in in the morning (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh good part of the benefits of having your husband at home and big hopefully. kids and big, and big man that's another thing i'm excited about <laughs> their kids getting older oh my gosh because like you i don't like mornings <laughs> <laughs> i make my kids get up at seven almost every day and they grumble and complain about it and probably they will still get up at seven tomorrow because we have piano lessons online so <laughs> but i usually get up at six so i will probably sleep till seven tomorrow yay <laughs> cool well enjoy your time sleeping in uh, dawn thank, thank you. you so much for joining us this is great i i thoroughly enjoyed our conversation and the time we spent together I had a great time thanks so much thank you for listening join the conversation with us on instagram facebook or twitter <laughs>